You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 139 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? Good. What's been happening in Gina world? I've been shooting in the rain, Val, which is like, you know, a bit frustrating, but like you work at like, yeah, I don't like getting my gear wet, but if I I find ways to work around it, but you sort of got to try and um, work in all different weather conditions, I guess. So I managed to get get the shot, but uh, it can be frustrating when, you know. I bet. The day before is perfect mm. and then, you, you know, the day you want to shoot is not so perfect. But the but light is You're beautiful. amazing. Like I have shot with you in torrential rain. I know. And somehow you, you have just pulled off the most amazing shots. I just – you're I know. Fantastic. That shoot was – I've never – honestly, I've never seen anything like that day ever mm. again, Val. <laughs> I think it was like the rain was falling horizontally. There was nowhere to hide. Mm. And you got to give um, props to the makeup artist, yeah. Fatini Hatsis, who managed to get the hair to stay. Yeah, put. amazing. Because that's another, that's, you know, that, that's, that's skill That's a whole right other podcast. There. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what about right. you, Val? What's been going on with uh, hashtag uh, <laughs> yoga beach babe, hashtag uh, macrame art? Well, it's actually been art. hashtag um, – creative entrepreneurs this week because I did a talk at the Australian Design Centre and it was for a group called Mama Creatives and it was for creative entrepreneurs and I did a talk to them. They're all different types of um, types of businesses including Mm. photography businesses Mm -hmm. uh, but all sort of creative or artistic with some kind of bent. There was a clown doctor. (laughs) What? Oh, he goes around to hot children's hospitals. Yeah, clown doctor. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, there was, uh, you know, people who make jewellery, so a, bun- a, a bunch of um, makers, but as I said, also photography and, um, and writing. And so I did a talk there on how to build your profile. Mm-hmm. And um, it was um, – they were such a great group. And one of the things that I spoke about, which literally so many of them came up to me afterwards to talk about that particular point – even though I gave lots of tips about how to build your profile, <laughs> which I thought were, you know, really good. I yeah. mean, hopefully they thought it was good too. The thing that resonated most with them was when I started talking to them about imposter syndrome and how uh-huh. so many people do suffer from imposter syndrome. And the reality is that no matter where you are in life, even if you are J-Lo <laughs> or, yeah. or Donald Trump, Trump or whoever, you can suffer from imposter syndrome. So it's something that's really natural. It's something that everyone suffers from and you just kind of – you don't push it away. I mean, you accept – if you feel it, you feel it. But it's a matter of feeling it, accepting that you feel it and then putting it aside and then saying, but I'm going to do this anyway because everyone suffers from imposter syndrome. Absolutely. And I'm no different. So it was interesting that for so many people – they felt that uh, that that resonated with them the most because it helped them realise that they weren't alone. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, that's that's what I've been up to. But we Sorry. have a shout out to Tim Brew. Mm. Now Tim Brew has left us a review on iTunes and has called it amazing <laughs> with lots of A's. So. Tim Brew kindly said, best 
podcast ever created. Oh, my goodness. I, no one's ever said that to us before. We love you, Tim Brew. <laughs> yes. Gosh. All right. Tim Brew has said, it's such a pleasure to have Gina and Valerie in my headphones every single day. I work in construction. And regularly revisit episodes to refresh my memory. It's safe to say I'm addicted. With each episode, my understanding of photography increases, as well as my confidence in my own ability to produce incredible images. I've seen a huge improvement in, in my work, and it's all thanks to these two awesome and hilarious women. <laughs> the delivery of information is such that it could give an aha moment to photographers of any level. A huge thanks to Gina for sharing her knowledge and to Valerie consistently reading our minds and asking the right <laughs> questions at the right time. The community they have is so supportive and welcoming. I have even connected, reconnected with a fellow listener who I worked with overseas 12 years ago. Wow. wow that's Do cool. You, yeah. Do yourself a favor and listen to every episode. I promise it will change your world and boost your love for photography to another level. And where's the option for 20 stars? Oh, my <laughs> oh, God. Wow. That's so cool. Thank that's you, like Tim. my favorite review. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank we'll you so much. We'll break the reviews now. Like, we'll give him 20 stars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tim Brew. Really appreciate it. I mean, I can't tell you how much we appreciate it uh, because it um, really helps us in the rankings to oh, get yeah. us uh, to, to, to get a review um, on iTunes. And it really helps just encourage and inspire us to have such a lovely review like that. So thank you yes. so much. Now, we're doing something a little bit different this week, aren't we, Gina? Uh-huh. This is so cool. So some months ago, maybe, I don't know, six, eight months ago, I'm there on my, you know, on the weekend I love reading the papers so on the weekdays, I don't read the papers that much, but I'm pretty old-fashioned on the weekend. I still get the papers. They're delivered. They're in print. And I have my cup of tea, and I love, love, love reading the weekend papers. So I'm reading the weekend papers, and I open the Australian magazine, which I think is one of the best magazines, actually, in yep. Australia. I really do. As a writer, I rate it extremely highly. And I open the weekend magazine from the Weekend Australian, and right there is this incredible photo of the night sky and I'm looking at it and I go – and I'm, it takes, takes my breath away. I go, wow. And it's by Michael Goh. And Michael is one of our listeners. He's been listening for a long time. He's in the podcast community. And you can, of course, join the Facebook group where we all are um, if you go to Facebook uh, search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community and request to join. Um, it's great to have all of our listeners in there. But we have been noticing Michael's photography for a while now, haven't we, Gina? Yeah, it stands out. How could you not notice well, it? I mean, you know, it's it's incredible. It's incredible. absolutely incredible. incredible. <laughs> Michael specializes in photography at nighttime, but in particular, when you look at his shots, and we'll put a link to all of his uh, websites and Instagram and everything, everything in the show notes but when you look at his shots they are not just at night they are of the night sky and they just capture so much detail so many colors so much light and it could be straight up at the night sky it could be a time lapse where you actually see the stars move or it could be of the night sky and the landscape so you actually get the the either a reflection on of the landscape or some kind of um uh um some kind of image of the of the the, the contrast between the earth and the sky Hmm. And they and he lives in Western Australia, which is does lend itself to some Fiction. pretty <laughs> awesome landscapes. And um, sometimes he does little self portraits, or or rather, he is somehow in the image. Yes, um, and usually as a small. Uh, as a small figure in the image to, I suppose, give some perspective to the image and they are gobsmacking. So he's won a bunch of um, uh, photographic competitions. He's appeared in newspapers and books. I've, I mentioned he's, I believe, you know, one of the best magazines in Australia. Uh, he's also appeared, his work has also appeared in various photographic magazines, including Digital Photographer Magazine, Australian Geographic, Practical 
uh, Practical Photography Magazine and many others. So um, I won't read out his social media links because you can find all of them in the show notes, which you can find at GinaMilitia.com. That's M-I-L-I-C-I-A. So we decided to have a chat with Michael. Mm-hmm. Now, Gina has, uh, ha- has has decided to channel me and she's become the interviewer <laughs> and she has, she's actually um, had a good old chat with Michael to talk about his process and some of his techniques in capturing some of um, these amazing shots. So I'm really keen to listen to the chat. So we've brought that to you. So let's have a listen now to Gina talking to Michael Go. Michael Go, how's it going? I'm going fantastic, Gina. Yourself? Good. How, how's uh, you're in Perth, Western Australia, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, how, how is it? How's the weather over there at the moment? <laughs> It's uh, sunny and a little bit cool. Uh, we're about to have a cold front hitting in the next day or so, though, so it's going to get very wet. So cool. How, well, like, what would you say? Like, uh, At the moment, just looking at the temperature, it's about 18 degrees centigrade at the moment, but it's just, uh, I don't know, it just feels a bit chilly. Well, the, uh, it's it's not actually cold. very good astrophotography weather, though. Is it? It's because, like, but with, you've got rain cover. So you, what, like, for good astrophotography, do you need clear skies? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, clear skies is... is is good, especially depending on what you're wanting to to photograph in terms of astrophotography. Uh, but I actually like, in some cases, a little bit of cloud in, in the straight Milky Way imaging. Right, and that that helps. It gives it uh, depth. Um, I have to say, my, Michael, your images are amazing, and uh, you know, ever since I first saw them uh, a few years back, they just like they stopped me in my tracks, and I'm just like, oh my god, wow! And it was like, wow, in terms of like, I want to go there, and I want to be able to. Um, do this sort of photography but it's not often that like there's so many things have been like we, we get so used to seeing certain photos that come through but when you see something like your astro photography and uh there's guys there's links in the show notes uh all these images that we talk about today you'll be able to see in the show notes but when i see uh shots like yours i just like and completely stopped and I could look at them forever and it's like it's amazing stuff so I'm really excited to have you on the show today to uh, demystify the art of astrophotography so everyone that's listening can uh, basically by the end of the show be able to go out with their even an entry-level camera Michael right and uh, take a photo of the night sky so um yeah, Basically, I must say though, Gina, sorry, yeah. it's uh, a great privilege and honour to be on the show. Oh, thank you, Michael. Uh, I'm I'm so excited. So let's uh, let's dive in. Let's so you um, now you're a self-taught photographer, and you I think you first picked up a camera in 2009, and today you uh, you kind of you're working full time as a photographer, but I, I would say that you've got a corporate sponsor, haven't you, at the moment? <laughs> You've got yourself a corporate sponsor to help you with your photography. Is that right? Is, is uh, there a little bit of a side hustle with a job? Yeah, uh, the, uh, I'm also self-employed in terms that's of it. in terms of a finance uh, role as well. That's uh, it. I'm so a if we need, that's right. So um, if we need uh, help buying, is it a commercial properties that you do? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm actually doing both business and uh, both commercial and uh, personal uh, home mortgages as well. Okay, and so uh, that's for Australia. So if uh, someone wants a mm-hmm. – what, what kind of interest rates can you get us at the moment on a uh, residential loan, Michael? Uh, it, of course, all varies basically. Yeah. The, a lot of it's actually around <laughs> you the – sound like a banker. <laughs> people's personal, personal situations <laughs> is the important it's, thing. It's all right. We're not going to hold you to it. But roughly, <laughs> what, what are interest rates down to at the moment? The, uh, in terms terms of your own occupied stuff, a lot of it is actually uh, low fours, even oh well, uh, low four percent as well. Uh, but what happens is that I'll have to be honest as well is that I've actually only gone back into this space. I, I have 
uh, I've been in finance now for about 22 years. I've actually yep. gone back into the finance and mortgage broking just yep. to help with uh, give me some more time with the photography as well. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, so therefore, you can't actually talk to me about it for another week or so. <laughs> so, but it's uh, you got the best of both worlds because you've got that like, like that 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 part of it's covered, and then um, it it helps you get out and do uh, the photography as well. So, which is which is great. So. So, like, around 2009, is that when you first um, yeah. started I, with your I first camera? My, um, I bought my first DSLR in 2010, um, mm. which is after I drove across Australia in 2009. Yep. The, uh, on the way, what ultimately prompted us buying a DSLR was driving back across Australia as a, on a family trip. Just on the way back, we were thinking, hey, it'd be nice to have some better photos. Yep. Of course, driving around with uh, uh, just a couple of compact cameras, which would probably be the equivalent of uh, mobile phones or even yeah, less yeah, than yeah. mobile phones at the moment, and saying, hey, look, we've just spent an awful lot of money traveling across Australia, and these are basically memories that we wanted to keep. So I suppose like a lot of people wanting to get into photography, it was, hey, I'd like to actually retain these memories a little bit better than what I've been doing in the past. Fantastic. And so... Um, you self-taught, you did a lot of reading, YouTube uh, and experimenting and you would have started photographing, you know, landscapes, possibly the odd shots of your kids and uh, that sort of stuff. What got you into astrophotography? How, like where was the what, – what happened to get you interested in shooting the night sky rather than continuing on like a lot of photographers do with, say, landscape or going into portraits or corporate mm. or that sort of stuff? Mm. Yeah, the uh, I suppose I've always been a science fiction fan. So even uh, uh, back as a child, I was watching uh, Star Trek and things like that. Yep. The uh, and I guess I would probably still have continued photographing what everyone else photographs until I saw the work of on on a different side of things the uh, uh, the work of Corey White, who right. does a lot of drop collision photography, which suddenly opened up my mind to different things that the uh, the camera can do, which ultimately doesn't necessarily match with what you can actually readily see with your eyes yep her, her work's amazing and uh I'll, there's a link in the show notes but basically uh it's uh, a lot of uh high speed flash really isn't it and uh her work of late is uh she's doing a lot of details uh just on 500 pics here having a look at her stuff and it's like a lot of uh details of mushrooms up close mm. macro uh it's incredible stuff so was she uh a, a bit of a mentor to you uh, she was certainly an inspiration. The, yeah. uh, for the first few years, I never uh, really made any contact or anything, but the, uh, she certainly, I suppose, helped a lot of my uh, photographic philosophies in terms of sharing knowledge and so on because she was very open on Flickr in terms of how her setups and showing exactly how she was actually achieving all of her results. Yep. So... Um you get into uh, astrophotography. How, like, what 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 time did you just say? Well, I want to shoot the night sky. What mm. what what happened? Uh, it was uh, quite literally. I suppose the first astrophotography I, I did was actually in my backyard. I actually just did star trails out of the backyard because that was, a, I suppose, a bit of a shiny sort of thing that you can photograph. Something yeah. that looked very interesting with with the the stacking of photos to create the, those light trails. Yeah. And the uh, and then it just kept on expanding after that, thinking. Ooh, I can do even more and more things by pushing the camera to, to different sorts of ways. Um, I cannot remember exactly when I first saw a Milky Way image to, yeah. and who actually photographed it, but the, uh, there were some basic formulas that were, were put out at that point of time which said, hey, I need to get a – well – I don't really need, but I should get a wider, faster lens and just go out somewhere dark and try it. So the stuff that you were seeing, maybe that you were starting to notice in 2011 compared to the stuff that you're seeing today, have you noticed there's a huge difference in the quality and the resolution? Uh, yep, absolutely. Yep. The, um, nowadays, the I suppose cameras are getting better and better in terms yep. of their capabilities, and it's also a lot more accessible. Yep. So uh, since there's a lot more that's out there, there's a lot more experimentation by the wide astrophotography community and also yep. a bit more by myself. And uh, I guess people are just trying to push the boundaries even further. So even with an entry-level camera, uh, entry-level camera and a kit lens, you can get striking astrophotography. So like, well, let, let, let's, um, let's just define like astrophotography. What, what's your definition of it? 
Okay, astrophotography is really the photographing of any astronomical object. Mm-hmm. So they, these include stars. The I suppose the most prominent one would be the the Milky Way. Yeah. Uh, even the sun is actually an astro- astronomical object. Oh, so I've that... done astrophotography then, Michael. I've photographed Absolutely. the sun. I can do a starburst. Therefore, I can now put astrophotography <laughs> in my bio. Is that correct? Uh, I guess you could. The, I'll say uh, Michael Go said I could. <laughs> There's a an amount of uh, shooting of the sun using special filters, hydrogen filters, and so on, which I have not done, which ultimately see let you see all the little sun spots on, the, on the surface of the sun. Wait, hang on, sun. so where do I find that? Is there a like maybe you can give me a link after after we get, finish the uh, the record to, to that? Yeah. And I'll put in the show notes. I'd mm-hmm. love to see that, mm. so you can see all the like all the little um, details in there. Yep, and you can see all these textures on the sun as well. It's quite fantastic. So it's like an ND, obviously. Mm. Uh, there, there are special filters, and, and uh, but uh, I don't have access to any of those currently. But what yeah, are they worth? Uh, I'll have to confess, I don't, I don't know that <laughs> at the moment. But lots, but, yeah, I, I have considered doing it. I know that if you wanted to go deeper into the uh, a lot of the fields of astrophotography, it can be very expensive because yeah. you can actually use also some specialised cameras, and you do actually have a lot of specialised uh, telescopes and uh, filters regarding these as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And uh, a few few people I know have spent, uh, you know, like your twenty, thirty thousand Australian dollars on this sort of stuff as well. But that's a lot. You don't need to spend that no. much money as well. You can you can photograph it with uh, a lot of stuff with just your entry level gear. You know, your entry level DSLR and kit lenses. Right. Uh, I've photographed the Milky Way, for example, with a compact camera as well. Really. Yeah, it's so just, just had manual how did you settings. do that? Manual settings, highest ISO. Uh, did you use um, a tripod or? Uh, actually, I used a little gorilla pod. I could have used yep. a rock, but yep. the, uh, it was uh, just a, a quick photo. The uh, I think it was a Canon S two hundred, which uh, I think you can actually manually focus, and you can actually you can have the manual settings. So it was just at f two, I think at ISO sixteen hundred for 15 seconds which was the top exposure for that camera right. just pointed in the right direction and hey look at this milky way fantastic so um for for all the listeners if you when you get a chance if you can pull over or to have a minute to have a look at the show notes and have a look at uh, michael's beautiful images the thing i love uh, most about your images is i feel like obviously i feel like i'm looking at a landscape there's always uh you, you generally will put a figure it's usually yourself uh, in in the shot to give it a sense of scale. So you've got this um, epicness about you know how small man is really under the like you can interpret it however you want, but that's how I see it. Like you know the smallness of man against the vastness of this uh, amazing uh, solar system, and then you've got uh, these beautiful uh, you know natural features. I, I haven't seen a lot of your work where you've included uh, say uh, often you'll see a shack or a jetty or something like that photographed against the night sky is that is that a deliberate thing that you do do you prefer to have natural elements or have i just not seen any of that from you no you, you're probably right i actually prefer the, the more natural elements the, the idea of being an explorer yeah the uh and that's in a way a little bit of how the figure actually uh, uh features as well with the yeah with a torch, as to speak, it's not actually a torch, but a torch holding up to the sky to, yes. to, ex- to explore his surroundings. Yeah, I, I love that about your images, and um, so so that's a deliberate thing that you do. That and, and like the thing. When I look at your shots, uh, first of all, there's this sense of like, oh my god, the, the the world is huge and it's so vast, and but you're out in the middle of nowhere, and it's so part of me is like, oh my god, it's the the middle of nowhere, and it's also the middle of the night, and you're there alone. Are you alone when you're doing this or is it like when you go to a famous landmark and you get that shot, it looks like there's no one else there, but there's actually 5,000 other (laughs) photographers in your way that you're going, oi, move. What's it like? 
No, uh, it's generally uh, probably about 90% of the time it's just myself doing a self-portrait. Wow. The, uh, I, do, uh, I do actually take people with me from time to time and it's in- increasing in terms of the frequency that I've been yep. taking people out with me. Yep. Uh, and also I, I, I sometimes run small groups out as well. Yep. So uh, you're starting the- workshops, is that right, Michael? You're starting to do more and more? Yep. And I you've got some running- coming up, so we'll maybe um- – but what's the best thing to do would be to uh, sign up to your newsletter and you'll let people know when the next one or and you can let us know when the next uh, <laughs> when the next one is as well so that we can let because I'm sure there'd be lots of our listeners that be <laughs> including me <laughs> dying to go out on, on one of your workshops <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the website's got a, a sign-up page for yeah. a, a newsletter, but it will yeah. also be announced through there and also the web page. Fantastic. Sorry, the, the Facebook page as well. Yep, excellent. But the, I'm just sorting out through various logistical items at the moment, like insurances and things like yeah. that. And your, your uh, Facebook is Astro Bear, is that right? Uh, Astro Photo Bear. Astro Photo Bear. Yeah, there's Very a little bit of a story name. behind that one. But What's the story? <laughs> the um, the I used to be a uh, an online World War II pilot. Online. Uh, I was yeah, going so to say, I, wait, I know how this, old this are sounds you? like a long <laughs> stretch, basically. <laughs> so I used to be an online pilot, uh, commanding a, a World War II squadron, and the uh, and that particular bear was actually released on my birthday. So therefore, that's why it's an aviator bear. Oh. And so that's where the the that particular bear comes from. He's not really called Astrophoto Bear himself. So, and when I was looking at, I suppose, branding myself in terms of who I am online, yeah. the uh, I wanted to have originally Astro Bear, but Astro Bear was taken. So, so that's ultimately Astrophoto Bear. I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's a very cute bear too. <laughs> um, all right. So that's great. So let's let's uh, let's get into uh, some of the gear. So you you actually so if uh, the listeners uh, want to go out and uh, do some night photography, uh, what's the bare minimum of gear that you would recommend using now? So we're talking, uh, can you do it with an entry level camera? Yes, the uh, entry level DSLR, just anything that you can manually focus. You've got your manual controls in terms of setting your ISO, aperture, and shutter speeds. Right. Um, so just your your current entry level range of, of your okay. uh, Canons, Nikon's, or Sony's, or Pentax's, uh, and well, most of the other brands which should suit as well. Okay, so uh, third party lens is fine. I see that you list amongst your gear. You use a lot of Tamron, and you're very happy with that. I'm using Sigma. As third-party lenses, very happy with them. But even a kit lens is fine. Um, all right. So, would a standard lens be okay? Does it have to be super, super wide? Uh, would a a long lens work for these shots? Um, actually, yes. It can. It can actually be almost any focal length. But mm-hmm. the uh, the focal length will affect, uh, I suppose, the results in terms of how long you can actually have your shutter speed open. Generally speaking, I'll say generally because there are actually some some uh, some differences to that as well. Mm-hmm. Is that the I've photographed the Milky Way, say using a two hundred millimeter focal length. Yeah. Uh, and of course, it just means that it's extremely tight in terms yeah. of you can't really get any foreground. Well, you can get foreground in, but it's a little bit harder to photograph the Milky Way yeah. at two hundred millimeters with yeah. a foreground. So the ideal for you, like from what you've, so you yeah. started with uh, kit and you've gone yeah. up to what's your what's your go-to lens for shooting so my, the night sky so my go-to lens at the moment is the tamron 15 to 30 f 2.8 lens yeah uh, the it's actually there's a reason why i've gone for the tamron over other lenses although that there's a few other lenses which i'm very interested in at the moment the uh, the tamrons uh, i suppose it's very wide and it's also a very uh, in terms of the the focal length at 15 millimeters, yeah. it's also very fast in terms of uh, widening the aperture as well, being at f 2.8. Yeah. But I don't usually shoot at 2.8, <laughs> and also it's uh, got this. It's very sharp from edge to edge, and it's got a very little uh, effect called this coma. Right, coma is actually a, a lens problem whereby the even even expensive lenses can actually have it whereby the edges of the of the stars uh, around the edges of the lens can actually deform a little bit right so you're finding so so are you shooting at 15 
uh, on the Tamron or yep, frequently yeah, at 15 millimeters. That's your favorite. So that's your go-to focal lens. Uh, yes, although and, I have changed it sometimes as well. Okay, and you're not at 2.8. What? Where are you shooting at mostly? I actually shoot typically about f3.2 just to make it a little bit sharper. So do you find that, like, because I noticed that on most lenses that it's a couple of stops in is mm. the sweet spot, is the mm. sharpest, mm. Uh, and I try and avoid going wide mm. open. So you're not recommending, so if you had a very fast, like a, uh, a 1.4 or 1.8, mm. like you don't recommend going any shallower with the depth mm. of field or if you have a fast lens so you can drop down that ISO? Mm. Yeah, so some, sometimes the, uh, your, like your 24 1.4 lenses, for example, some of the lenses, uh, it becomes very soft around the edges as right. well. So it is, it is unfortunately that balancing act between how uh, I suppose the, uh, how soft you want it to be and uh, how much light you want to get in at any point of time as well. It is. It, it's so like would you'd recommend then maybe uh, and, and I, I, I always suggest you do this with your lenses, test them mm. out and then you, you eventually mm. when you use a lens enough you're going to know that like you, you're not going to go wide open but maybe one stop in is actually uh, mm. good enough. So mm. all right, so yeah. you through trial and error you found your lens of choice, you've got your aperture, uh, ISO, uh, because the ca- cameras today, they, they, like, they claim that, that like the numbers scare me. They're ridiculous. Mm. You know, 20,000, who, who shoots like that? I've come mm. from film days and I'm, I'm still afraid, Michael, to go over 800 ISO. Mm. I'm yeah, afraid I've, of noise. It, there must be a name for 20 it. 20-something thousand as well. 20-something thousand. <laughs> What do you get? Because it's like you shoot at that and it's like, well, which are the stars and which mm. is the noise? <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, it was more shooting at that sort of ISO just for experimenting. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, I guess that comes down to it as well is that it, in terms of getting out there and photographing it, a lot of it is actually just experimenting and see where the, the sweet spot of the of your camera capabilities and also yep. your post-processing abilities are. Yep. Uh, usually when I take people out, I say try a wide range or even go into a dark room actually and just try out a range of ISOs and exposures yep. and actually see how you can actually post-process it to reduce the noise as well. All right, so let's um let's just get, do a little walkthrough now of a shot. So let's uh, let's let's say uh, we're going to go out uh, somewhere. All right, ideally, how, how far away do you need to be from a city to get a decent night sky shot? Like, where, where is it an is there a time difference? Is it like obviously there must be a formula to avoid light pollution? What is it? Well, I suppose it's also the there's various websites which actually like uh, show the light pollution around the place as well. Yep. So it's actually talking about how bright how bright is the light pollution, and also which direction is coming from. So therefore, if even going. We're in uh, in Perth, down, down south in Mandurah, which is actually just on the outskirts of the metropolitan area. You can actually photograph the Milky Way as well. Right. But the uh, it's better to be facing south you know, uh, in terms of the right direction. Whereas if you were trying to face north towards the city, then it'd be you'd have too much light pollution coming out of it in terms of the direction. So, what's uh, do, you, do you have the name of one of the websites that that that, that list? Um, well, you can give I, it to me after yeah, I'll the. Give it to you uh, after, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Um, all right, so mm. you figure out where, you, how far you need to be. You find your right spot. Then, yeah. uh, obviously, are you using apps to locate mm. where the stars are at their optimum? Because there's obviously bits of the sky mm. that, like a landscape, where nothing mm. goes on. Is that right? Yep. The in terms of uh, I suppose finding the right locations and so on. I guess first off, I'll I'll do a little bit, bit of uh, research on the locations. I actually explore it during the daytime, so you actually can see things during the daytime yeah. as well. And that's a uh, safety issue too, isn't it? Because it's like you don't want to be uh, turning up and uh, uh, especially if you're near water and things like yeah. that, or you, yeah, in the pitch black trying to set up. Yeah. Or fall off cliff or exactly. anything like that. Exactly. Safety always comes safety first with these first. things. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, over the top when it comes to safety at times as well. I actually go out with a handheld GPS so I can actually mark locations, multiple locations of where to go in the middle of the night. So therefore, you oh, can actually clever. find them in the middle of the night. So you will you will always uh, find your location, recce mm. it, use these apps and websites to locate the sky. So 
In terms of when you're doing yeah. night photography, it's not a matter of like sometimes where I'm uh, in another country, I'll stumble around, turn a corner and go, oh, my God, that's a nice shot. I'm going to photograph it now. There's no – does any of that happen that, that you turn uh, yeah, a corner absolutely. and go, oh, my God, there is? Yeah, I mean, for example, the first Milky Way image I took was quite literally just driving along the side of and stopping by the side of the road and say, I like that tree. Uh, and uh, saying, hey, look, the I know the Milky Way is rising from this sort of a direction and photographed quite literally from the side of the road because I saw a nice foreground interest. Fantastic. Well, that makes me happy to hear that, 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 that there's hope for me <laughs> in this genre. All right, so we've done all the planning. Uh, you found yeah. the location. Mm. You've uh, followed all the safety. You know mm. where you want to set up. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's apps, I suppose. You use the apps to find the night sky, yeah. uh, work out where you want to shoot, and then uh, mm. obviously one of the mm. things that stands out about your images is you've, you're, you're looking for interesting mm foreground elements mm. Uh, mm. to complement the night sky so uh, you know uh, you found you found your awesome amazing location then is it a matter of coming back uh, early enough and waiting or uh, what what do you do next I usually uh, head back to the car actually and yeah. just eat have a yeah. steak uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you're camping um, out what are you doing like because uh, it's what do you bring a tent um, some locations, if they're far out enough, then yeah. I will actually. Uh, there's a lot of camping locations. Otherwise, I'm I'm fairly used to and comfortable with the night driving, and I suppose that's also very much the safety element as well. Uh, most of the time, I actually drive back home. So uh, now, your wife Catherine and the kids, Jessica and Charlotte, are they coming along with you, or are they at home? And is your wife the long-suffering, going what again? You're going out at night. I've got the <laughs> yeah, kids. Yeah, pretty much. Is it like that? <laughs> yeah, the, the kids aren't, aren't too fast. Uh, my oldest daughter is also a photographer, and she's oh, been out awesome. with me a few times as well. So they enjoy but, it. Uh, uh, yep, Jessica definitely does. Uh, and uh, my wife, Catherine, she's been thinking about getting into photography, but she's uh, very busy with other things at the moment. So she's actually going, uh, yeah, he's just gone out again. But, well, all right. So they, they put up with it and then they're obviously very supportive, which is great. All right. So you're out there. You might have a tent. You might be camping. Uh, mm. you, you wait it out and then uh, – um, in terms of your gear, you've got your like. If we're doing this with an entry level, so we've got our uh, basic entry level camera with a kit lens. Do we need a tripod? Uh, ideally, you would have a tripod. Yeah, I've used a rock or the top of my car before as well. All right, so that's uh, if you're doing a straight it, shot, just, uh, a straight yeah, up shot. Same. So it's like and uh, the timing, like you're you're shooting uh, between a 20 to 30 second exposure are you using a light meter how are you working out how the exposure is a trial and error will you do it like uh you know f f start at f3.5 is it and then you go at, at a certain you've got a certain uh, iso and then you'll start set 20 seconds 10 seconds look at it how do you work it out Pardon me. The uh, the I would actually start with the wider aperture to begin with. Yep. So just to make sure that you've actually got everything composed and framed up properly. Mm. Uh, and then the, there is actually and probably with the longer exposure initially as well, and then basically bring it down. There is actually in terms of the exposure, the shutter setting. There's actually a rule, uh, I suppose, a, a rule which is probably best described as a guideline called the Rule of 500 in terms of how long you should expose for to avoid star trails. Right. Uh, and that's and so star trails, sorry, Michael, is when the stars are moving. And so the, some photographers will use that for an effect. There's a, We've got a shot that you've done of star trails in the show notes. Mm -hmm. uh, if you leave the shutter open long enough, uh, you'll get the, like – I can only describe it as it looks like a Van Gogh painting. <laughs> yeah. like... If you leave the shutter open long enough, what happens is that the uh, the stars will start creating lines because ultimately yes. the Earth, Earth is rotating. We're rotating around them, and yeah, and so therefore it will actually. Uh, whereas a lot of uh, when you want to photograph the Milky Way specifically, you generally speaking, people like to have your pinpoint sorts of stars. Mm -hmm. But again, it also becomes a little bit of creative effect as well because you can actually have a little bit of a blurry. 
blurry Milky Way as well. It's a, in terms of a, a different sort of creative uh, creative effect. And that's no different to mm. maybe photographing someone um, who is walking past you and you've got a slower shutter speed that gives that sense of movement and can make that image dynamic. So it doesn't always need to be super crisp, does it, Michael? You can you can use a bit of creativity and uh, that's the way that you can interpret the shot and uh, I think it looks more natural that mm. way. Often when it's too well done, there's almost a disconnect. Mm. Yep, pretty much. I think the if everyone keeps on focusing on doing exactly the same thing in terms of the creative side of things, yeah. it stops being so creative. Everyone just starts following a formula, and yeah. uh, and ultimately that's where it becomes it starts becoming the normal, I suppose. Exactly, and it's often the faults in an image that make it more beautiful, I believe, and it it, it gives it, uh, it it makes it look human, not not this clinical thing that was um, created by a machine. All right, so. Uh, we've got uh, you've worked out your exposure using your rule. You're using uh, ideally using a tripod. You often um, like to do uh, panoramas, right? So you, you're building up the shot with a uh, a cheaper tripod. Is this possible? And how do you work out where to uh, place the frame for each uh, image? Okay. The uh, in terms of the cheaper tripods, definitely, it's mm. definitely fine. The uh, of course, it just comes down to thinking how stable is your tripod, uh, and that's I suppose then comes down to saying, well, how much do you want to spend in terms of how how cheap your tripod is? Right. Uh, for my panoramas, I actually just use a ball head and a nodal rail, so right. it's quite literal, just to reduce, I suppose, some of the issues that you have with stitching panoramas together. Yep. I do do tests on the sky as well to, uh, when I'm taking the photo to to make sure I've got enough of the Milky Way in the photo. Right. And uh, because I'm shooting ultra wide, which people have often found has got problems when shooting the panoramas, uh, I actually have a lot of, I suppose, fat on either side of the Milky Way and, and a fair amount above and below. Right. So you overdo it just to make sure that you get that beautiful uh, part of it that, that, that so that everyone recognizes, right? Yeah, very much so. So therefore, I might be shooting for each side of the Milky Way in terms of it might be something like 220, 210, 230 degrees or so is I might actually be shooting so there that the edge of the Milky Way only covers maybe a quarter or a quarter or 30% of the, uh, the last frame on either side. Yep. The thing that I found most interesting, I was having a look on your YouTube uh, channel, Michael, and uh, you ran through uh, one of the, uh, like a before and after of one of the panoramas that you did. And it's very much like uh, a lot of the portrait photography that I do. The before image doesn't look a hell of a lot like the after image. You really pick up a lot of information in the processing. And uh, I think it's it, like, it's a really important part of uh, the photography, isn't it? Mm, yeah. The, uh, certainly in the post while I've done a few which are just straight JPEGs and so on, just to prove yep. points, yes. is that you can bring out the contrast and a lot more of the detail and the shadows that much better by in the post-processing of it. Right. So you, you would, would you recommend that you shoot JPEG for Astro? I'd always recommend shooting raw if yeah. possible because ultimately you, you keep uh, that much more data in, in terms of the, of the photographs yeah. Yeah. and you can actually do that much more in terms of especially things like your noise control and a few other things. Although I've photographed with the JPEG on the uh, Canon 6D yeah. and, the, uh, and it's actually been very clean in terms of a lot of the images using, uh, I suppose, the normal long exposure noise control and so on that the, J, the, the camera itself will actually control. So that's the thing that I don't understand. How, how do you tell what is noise and what's a star hmm. when you're doing editing? How, how do you tell the difference? The... Uh, I suppose when you're actually looking finer in, uh, closer in, in terms of the actual photographs themselves, the uh, it is more noticeable in terms of what's what. Yeah. Uh, the I, I do do a number of noise control sorts of uh, software solutions and yeah. in terms of like your Nick, uh, your Nick D, uh, yeah. Define or your Topaz Denoise and your Lightroom and so on. Yeah. And uh, I guess. 
generally speaking, it's, it is fairly clear in terms of what's noise and what's not. Um, yep. I mean, you can see a few spots here and there which which are a little bit questionable. And I think that there's actually been a recent uh, controversy, I think, about uh, one camera brand about their uh, their cameras actually removing stars because is they thought Sony? they were noise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's trying to be political. <laughs> I heard that too. It's really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, certainly with the noise control, it can blur things out and actually remove some of the noise. And there's actually some, uh, there's actually a particular post processing technique as well, is that you actually reduce the stars as well to actually bring out the, the Milky Way core a bit more as well. So when you're processing, I noticed that the first thing you did, and uh, I, I uh, urge everyone again to have a look at uh, Michael's YouTube channel because you give really detailed explanations on post-processing the images and really helpful stuff there, Michael. But uh, I noticed that what you did is the first thing you did when you brought the image in is you turned off Lightroom's default sharpening, right? Yeah. And, uh, and then you do your edit and then you, you sharpen at the end? Uh, yep, frequently I'll sharpen a bit more at the end. So you do, your, of- you do your noise um, reduction first, mm. like colour balance, uh, um, contrast, and, and, uh, sh- and uh, noise reduction and sharpening last, is that right? Uh, yeah, frequently what I'll do, be, the, the reason why I'll do a little bit of noise control to begin with and actually remove all the sharpening is with the panoramas especially is that I feel that the, the panorama will ultimately stretch the image. Right. So therefore it will stretch the noise and the sharpening will actually sharpen all the noise as well. Yep. yep. Uh, and uh, because I do a little bit of noise control at the beginning is is to help reduce that, uh, I suppose that that stretching of the noise at, during the panorama process. Right. Uh, but the majority of the actual processing is that is just curves and color balancing is probably about ninety percent of it. So there's uh, we've got some um, some of your images here in the show notes. So the the light within that you share, that's uh, you shot that on your Canon six D with the Tamron fifteen to thirty. Yeah. At two point eight, this one. So your ISO sixty four hundred twenty five seconds. So, um, yeah. safe to say, anyone who's listening to the show today, and let's just say they are away from a city, they're somewhere dark and off, and uh, it's uh, does it, d- it can it be a full moon night to get good shots of the stars, or do you need a dark night? What what what's what's the ultimate optimum conditions to shoot the night skies? Okay, ultimate. Con, uh, conditions are probably a cool night yes. because ultimately what happens is that there's less liquid suspension in the air, so right. it makes the sky a little bit clearer. Right. Uh, in terms of the moon, have to remember there's a couple of things with the moon is that the moon rises and sets. Yes. Uh, so therefore, you can shoot after it sets, and also yes. the moon is actually a variable. So therefore, my favourite conditions with the moon is actually uh, the luminosity of the moon is is crescent and it's probably below twenty percent. Right. And that actually means it lights the whole landscape, so it just I becomes like that. a normal landscape image. So, so that's the, the the light within, Michael. Sorry, is <laughs> that that's what you've done, and um, you've got shadows in the image, and moonlight is so surreal. So, and you've managed to capture the moon behind one of the peaks of the it's the pinnacles, right? Where, where that one is, light within. Yes. yes. Um, Absolutely there's also something else amazing. on that one as well. The that there's a big triangle on that on that particular image, and that's called the zodiacal light. Right. The zodiacal light's actually uh, light of. Uh, uh, from the sun reflecting off uh, cosmic dust in the inner solar system oh as well. God. Just to add another element to it. So this is like you 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 got the trifecta here. You got everything in in one shot, and it's mm. like that's it's that's why it's so epic. So you've captured that. So it is okay to get the moon. Would you say that sixty four hundred is a safe ISO to be starting at? You're going to get something if you go with. Uh, a wideish lens or your kit lens, 2.8, ISO 6425 seconds. Have a go at that. If you're not getting enough detail, uh, would you stick to that 25 seconds and up your ISO or would you um, slow down your shutter speed? 
I suppose with the start, uh, I guess uh, first off that that would probably be with the full frame camera. With yes. the uh, crop sensor, I'll probably go down to about ISO thirty two hundred frequently. Right. Okay. Um, with the if I'm not getting enough detail frequently, I might be. Uh, if it, if the stars are basically blurring out, I'll actually reduce the the shutter speed to to actually get a little bit more definition in the stars. Right. Or I might use something called a tracking mount. Ah, and so the, it uh, moves as the right. Yeah, the the tracking mount will actually rotate at the same speed as the uh, rotation of the uh, as the Earth. So therefore, you can actually do things like a five minute exposure without any star trails. Oh my God, that's amazing! I want one. <laughs> <laughs> What are they worth? Of course, the, the problem on the flip side, though, is that the Earth is then rotating, so therefore the Earth starts blurring out oh, as well. Oh, there's too so. much math there for me, Michael. Yeah, so, That's just, so just getting keeping confusing. it simple is, is it's just quite literally point the tripod in that direction. Yeah. And, and uh, if you needed to bring out more detail in, in the foreground, then you can either, and you wanted to do it in, say, a single frame, then you'd probably be extending your ISO a bit more yep. to actually uh, bring out a little bit more, uh, I, I suppose, bring the exposure up a bit more. Yeah. Or alternatively, some people may blend the foreground in with a longer exposure for the foreground and then keep the stars at a shorter shutter speed or a lower exposure. But so I'm using a card to hold thing. back and dodge or things like the same as you would do with landscape photography? Uh, or are you doing I, that in post? The Some people actually take multiple images to right. do that. Whereas um, you, I've actually also tried a black card actually doing the uh, on the astrophotography and it's very difficult to actually do a black card when you can't actually physically see the horizon in the first place. So, yeah, so are there no-nos in astrophotography where people, like, you know, can you do comps and things like that or is it is it are you supposed to get it all in one frame? Um it ultimately comes down to whatever you want and what you're comfortable with. The uh, there are in terms of uh, some uh, competitions or some places that you may put your photos in terms of saying uh, of how you put it together will be quite strict on how you put the photo together in saying that you can't blend your images or you, you can't do one thing or another. Yep. But it's one of those creative things is that ultimately you can do whatever you want if if it if just as long as you're honest with yourself about it. Right. Right, fair enough. Is that you can, you know, you can actually do say five-minute exposures with the foreground, and then blend in the Milky Way on top of it with a shorter exposure. Yeah. So it's just a matter of uh, trial and error. So you find those little sweet spots, test them out. Don't be afraid. And also, the thing that I think people uh, will put people off night photography is you'll have a look at the back of the camera and think it doesn't look that great. And it's not until I think you bring it back into Lightroom and all the information is there. You can pull it all out and uh, bring it into the and, – and, again, I really suggest that you have a look at uh, one of Michael's um, YouTube uh, videos, listeners, and uh, there's – just so much great information there and that, that, that like you've inspired me to go out I want to go out and have a go at this now um the image that i just like love so much is the wanderer and that's with the dunes where was that taken uh, that's uh, taken uh, a couple of hundred kilometres north of Perth. It's just taken on some dunes just a little bit south of the Pinnacles. Uh, I take a lot of photos at the Pinnacles. It's, it's just oh, very it's easy good, and accessible like, to go to. The, you keep going back to the same location <laughs> and you understand the lighting there. You will know the <laughs> best time of the year to go there. That's why you'd be, uh, like, you know, so amazing to go out with you because you have local knowledge and <laughs> I think that that's the way you do it. This shot, what I love about it is the fact that you like even without the night sky if you just had a black sky i would still love this shot because the sand dunes are so epic but you've given it scale by putting a self-portrait and just very quickly michael because like typically i've banged on too long and uh, we're running out of time but like just quickly and again uh you show exactly how you do this on your mm. YouTube channel. How do you get the figure, uh, the shot of you, uh, the self-portrait against the night sky? I've got a, uh, a hand uh, handheld wireless remote for my camera. Yep. Uh, I'm actually holding a speed light and a Gary Fong light sphere uh, in my hand and I basically wander around and put myself in the right spot yeah so in that particular image i'm actually only maybe about 10 meters or 10 15 meters away from the camera as well because it's ultra wide yes basically pushes me further back yeah and then holding the image up i just take i take the image and 
and stand very still for the 25 second exposure or so. You stand still for 25 seconds? I thought you would take it and jump out. No, (laughs) otherwise what happens is that the Milky Way itself is bright enough that it will cause me to look like a ghost a bit as well. I've seen that. I've seen where people have like maybe black clothes on, they'll take a selfie and they'll jump out and then the Milky Way comes through their clothes. What setting is your flash at lowest? Um, Nothing. I've I've got a uh, CTO gel as well on the color temperature orange gel as well within the flash to basically give it a little bit more like a torch sort of effect uh, to make it orange. So I think I was at 164th power on that one i think at that point of time so the flash well, goes off once it. and but you get all of that illumination from it yes you this use- one's actually a little bit different as well i actually had another a second flash probably about 30 meters off to the right to actually create the light on the dunes yes i can see that and i think that's what's so beautiful about that but could because you haven't just done this mm. it's not overlit it's mm. uh it's it's lit so beautifully that it does like it makes sense to me it like that's what's so epic about this image i i love that so much oh my god i could just um I could keep talking to you for hours. Just to be, I know this wasn't discussed before or anything. I could actually send you a copy of the, the straight, what it looks like straight out of camera. That'd be as awesome. Well. I'll put it in the show notes. That that'd yeah. be fantastic um, to 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 show everyone that. I think that would be uh, really really useful. Um, Michael, th- this has been amazing. Is there anything else I've forgotten uh, or that you'd like to mention? Um, I know, I suppose, the just a couple of the apps that we were talking about uh, is yeah, I use is... Sky Safari and I use, use PhotoPills quite heavily. So that's how, you find, that's how you find your um, night skies? That's yeah, how you scope out? It makes it very out. much easier. Right. Very, it makes it very easy to basically work out uh, in terms of the, the shooting of the Milky Way. In terms, this particular one, I actually use PhotoPills quite heavily for this one to actually say this is exactly where it will be in terms of my composition. All right. And so we'll make sure that uh, that's all included in the show notes. All We've got some, uh, some of your images as well as this week's uh, podcast cover is uh, one of your images. So website is astrophotobear.com. You're also astrophotobear on Instagram uh, and Facebook. And then there's YouTube. Uh, What's your YouTube channel called? Um, I think it it might just be under my name. I think it is. Yeah. been a little bit slow with regarding all of that and I suppose that's one of the reasons why I've gone back to self-employment as well actually so I can catch up on it all. Fantastic and there's definitely uh, you'll be running workshops and they will be in the WA uh, area is that right? Yep initially. Fantastic oh my god can't wait that's amazing. (laughs) Um, Michael thanks so much and uh, you're an active member of the Facebook uh, podcast community as well so I guess if uh, anyone has any specific questions um, maybe they can ask you in there um, about any of the images that uh, that we've talked about or if, if they've got any questions about uh, this sort yep. of photography. Absolutely. Any questions at all about any astrophotography or anything except for what I had for lunch, that's fine. You won't tell? You won't disclose that? That's like top secret? Is that sort of a banking thing, oh, is it, Michael? Usually I'm very open about what I had for lunch. But, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, um, but yeah, any questions at all, I'm, I'm quite open because I believe the uh, just uh, uh, in terms of sharing the knowledge um, is, is very important. It helps everyone. It also helps contribute to make things better. Exactly. You're very generous with your information too. Your, your, your videos are, are awesome to watch and uh, you get a lot out of it. So, uh, yeah, Michael, thank you so much for your time and uh, hopefully we can uh, catch up again soon and uh, maybe after, I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll see you on um, one of your workshops. I'll be there. All right. Thanks, Michael. See ya. Thanks, Gina. Bye. Well, well done, Gina, you know, on, on channeling me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a way to go, Val. You know, I teach her like I don't and I felt, um, you know, when um, you were a kid and your mum and dad went out and they left you at home by yourself and yes. so you had no boundaries. <laughs> I, didn't have, I didn't have someone going, um, you know, <laughs> move on to the next question because I, I would have liked to happily have spent three hours talking in 
depth about one yes. particular thing has gone off on many different tangents. Sure. And in fact, I could have spoken to Michael for another three hours uh, about post production and go on into his, uh, you know, more about his panoramas and there's some, so hopefully down the track we can get him back on the show and yeah. uh, so much more. We just like kind of uh, tapped into like the very tip of it all, but I'm, you know, so grateful that he gave us the time and uh, what a top bloke. Yeah, fantastic. And um, uh, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. And I think it's so cool how he does do those self portraits and I, yeah. you know, stands there for 25 Five seconds I in know, a pose. It's cool, isn't it? It's amazing. <laughs> I um, love it. So just to just to wrap up, Val, let's just uh, go through the basics of what mm. he did explain. And um, if you get a chance, go and and if you're really into this sort of stuff, go and check out Michael Go's YouTube. Uh, channel and mm. it, like the link is in the show notes because he really explains in great detail how he does it. It's very hard on a podcast to explain post-production, which is uh, quite an important um, part of doing this astrophotography, like because you'll see and uh, there's an image in the show notes we've got like uh, Michael has kindly uh, supplied a before and after shot of his Wanderer image and mm. like you see that the difference is mind-blowing. It's like, oh, my God. It's amazing. You can bring in so much more detail once you do the post-production in the right way and making sure that you're eliminating the noise and enhancing the stars. And so that's so important. And also how uh, he carefully lights his work and his self-portraits. So basically the most important things you need to remember is that you are working with a wide-angle lens. Avoid shooting wide open if you want a sharper. So maybe go one stop in because that's uh, finding your lens's sweet spot and experiment. You want to pick a, sh- a spot that's away from light pollution. And so I've got a link mm. in the show notes that Michael recommends of his, uh, how he finds uh, the areas where there are less light pollution. So you can go onto this app and check it out. And the way he focuses, which we didn't get a chance to really discuss, but basically uh, it's, he will use a live view or he will focus on a bright star mm. in the distance. And remember, because you're using a tripod, if your lens has image stabilization, turn it off when you're Mm. on tripod because it's going to affect uh, the sharpness of your image because it'll vibrate even when it's on the the, uh, tripod. So turn image stabilization off and then – you want to be starting at coming in at an ISO of 3200 if you're on a crop sensor and ISO 6400 if you have a full frame camera and start at around a shutter speed of 25 seconds and uh, work around the aperture of uh, like one stop in from wide open. So if you've got a, um, a an entry level, a kit lens, it might be f4 and if you've got a faster lens and as Michael said, Said, I don't think he goes under f2.8. He doesn't like to go any faster than that because it affects the look of the stars. So there's some things to think about. But experiment. Do a whole lot of shots at a whole lot of different apertures and ISO and see check out what your uh, camera is capable of. The other thing is Michael has kindly offered uh, a link to a DNG file for a Milky Way test image that people can actually play around with and Mm. post-process. So you can download the file and then maybe go back to Michael's YouTube channel and follow along with him as he processes the images. So you'll get a sense if you don't, like, because we can't always be, some of us live in the middle of bright cities, or we can't get out to a place or just won't have time to to shoot the night sky. So here's an opportunity to do so with one of Michael's images and and see uh, the difference between uh, and what happens in post-processing so you can understand how what noise looks like as compared to uh, what stars look like. So um, lots of fantastic information there and I'm I'm like I'm keen to uh, give it a go, Val. 
Yeah, definitely. And great summary and also great tips from Michael Go. So thank yeah. you so much, thank you. Uh, Michael. That's fantastic. Now, um, before we sign off from this week's episode, I just want to remind everyone to go check out Gina's fantastic new course, which I absolutely love. I've personally got so much out of it. And it's called Master the Magic of Manual Mode and Get Off Auto Forever. And it's such a practical series of um, several modules and many, many videos where Gina has really, really clearly explained to the point where I'm like, why have I been, been confused all my life when Gina finally explained to me the thought process on how to determine where to put your settings on manual mode? I was like, the penny literally dropped and I have been shooting on manual ever since. So uh, it's, it's such a good course and it is launching very soon, but we have a very special offer for people who register their interest. Before it launches, you will get a special pre-launch discount which will only ever be offered uh, at the pre-launch stage. So uh, register your interest at ginamilitia.com slash manual. That's ginamilitia.com slash manual. And, of course, after launch, it will just go back up to normal retail price. But I'm pretty excited about it. What do you think, Gina, of the course? I I bang on about it because I really, really, really love it. But, you know, um, I know you're probably a bit too close to it to say, but what was your – purpose in in creating this course i wanted to uh because like like when i'm with people one-on-one i i can like take them from uh shooting in because the safety is shooting on automatic and i'm like no i can explain it really easily Mm. and in five ten minutes i've got them shooting manual Mm. and they're on their way and it just like and like everyone that i've mentored that i've got them shooting manual it's 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 a really quick process the Mm. problem is it's never been explained to them in a way that most people understand it's always like i was bamboozled when i was taught i didn't understand what everything meant and how the relationship how everything worked together and so I'm quite proud of this course Val because I think it is really easy to understand and I think that it will take everyone who does a course their work will go to the next level and beyond very very quickly and it's that aha moment all the way through oh it's just that that's all it is because it's not rocket science it's Mm. just that the People that keep explaining it like it is. It's very easy to shoot in manual mode. And when you shoot in manual mode, like you can do anything and you can get those shots that you've always dreamed of that you see in magazines that have just always sort of eluded you because – a camera in automatic isn't going to be able to do the sort of stuff that you want to do. No, no. It's so good. So I'm excited it's really good. to get it out there. I can't wait. Yeah. So register your interest, ginamilitia.com slash manual. All right. That brings us to the end of this week's episode, Gina. What have you got coming up in the, in the week that's about to happen? Okay, so I'm in the middle of uh, planning a very big shoot uh, that oh. will take me away. So um, that's exciting, and I've got a couple of little jobs on as well. So lots to keep me uh, occupied, Val. What about you? Yes. What have I got coming up? Um, I've just got quite a lot of events to go to um, because I've got not only a lot of events, it's also a lot of events associated with the Sydney Writers Festival, which is oh, right. coming up. Yes, it's just, that's now, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Well, it, it, very soon. Mm. And um, so I usually am extremely busy during the Sydney Writers Festival. In fact, yeah. the month of May is usually a write-off for me because I used to have Fashion Week and wow. followed in, always in May, followed by the Sydney Writers Festival. I don't do Fashion Week anymore, but I still do the Writers Festival. So um, it's just a lot of being out and about and talking to people. But it's all good fun and it's great to meet new people. So, yeah, it's going to be good. So uh, until we chat again, where do we find you online, Gina? So it's ginamilitia.com, G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm at Gina Militia on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest. You can also find me in the 
the podcast Facebook community uh, and I'm also in the Gold community, Val. Yes, and of course the Gold community is pretty damn awesome. Uh, and if you want to find out more, go to GinaMalisha.com and click on Join the Community. It's a wonderful membership program with all sorts of fantastic photographers who get access, direct access to Gina, including live monthly mastermind calls. And even if you can't make it to the call to ask Gina all of your questions, the call is recorded. But you can also get photo critiques from Gina, regular tutorials that are delivered every month, and free Lightroom presets that are only ever available for free to the to the um, members of the of the Gold community. So check that out as well. Anyway, I'm at uh, at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And um, I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com. 